Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Hi, Ryan. Good to talk to you today. Good to talk to you today, and today we are doing... Uh, it's a slight Christmas episode, you know. This is this is a this is a happy birthday Christmas episode. This is our th- Christmas present to ourselves, I think. To ourselves, yeah. <laughs> and we hope we hope the listeners appreciate it as well, because what we're going to get into, following a little bit from the previous episode on German idealism, we tried to like uh, set up the um, like the the basically the 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 germ of 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 a, of a philosophical movement that is just hugely influential for us and for the podcast and just for you know philosophy in general. Um, this episode, we're going to do um, very important, fun, to to steal a phrase, fundamental concepts of psychoanalysis uh, through popular music. And the, you know, this has been suggested to us, I, I mentioned uh, Sean couple, Kane in Dublin. A couple times, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, a couple times, other people have suggested it too. Um, and it makes uh, too much sense to not do. And uh, so we're going to do it. So this is not not we're not doing a this is not a deep dive into like a seminar. This is not a but we're more like uh, trying to, I guess, reestablish and uh, like reset a, a core and important uh, vocabulary for the podcast. And this is important because uh, I, I mean I know I know I know you're like me on this. Is that like to to think to think that one goes through life forever understanding these ideas in one way forever that's not that's, that's not how that's not how these ideas live and, and right and they're what, constantly being re-understood i think that's right yeah, yeah and 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 that's i and i think what like sometimes you'll hear a song <laughs> for example and it'll you know give you pause and make you reflect on these ideas if that's the way that you go through it so like it really is like like these ideas I, I think this would be our claim like one of the, like the core claims of the podcast like these these ideas live through um a dialectical engagement with them. And it's, it's not just this, like this didactic thing where, you know, on like, like, yes, on like page and I'm going to quote page page number uh, later on, on something like you're going to get great definitions of, of something, but it's not the, from, from Freud or Lacan or Zizek or whoever. Um, but that's not going to be the forever definition and it's never going to change and never going to be, it's, it's, it's unalterable. Um, and this is the, this is the strength and the weakness, I think, of, of this kind of idea. Like, like this is the the thing that people point at, like on the analytic philosophy side, or just like even in general, that it's like, oh, no one knows what they're talking about, because not, not like two people are not going to give you the same definition of the real, for example, you know, or like, or, or it's not stable, and it's just like to hold on to something like that, like values a kind of like uh, certainty over like a again this like dialectical engagement with the ambiguity um that i think we privilege and prize here and like like this like to me is i like at the at the root of any kind of important scholarly or philosophical engagement and certainly at the root of uh engaging in psychoanalysis in the way that that we do and it's again very important for theory as such so with that preamble um i don't know if you wanted to um, no no i think that's pretty good i i I think that i would say that i i like the fact that you contrast with with analytic philosophy, because I think that that is the objection, that if your concept is constituted dialectically, then it's not really a concept at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, so that's why Hegel is this big dividing point, between because he's the first person that says dialectic, and the first modern thinker who thinks dialectic is a good thing, is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Kant, dialectic indicates a, a failure of reason, right? So, mm-hmm. so that, and I think that that a lot of 
every analytic philosopher accepts that idea from Kant mm-hmm. and then doesn't accept this turn to make dialectic positive. So, so I, I think that's really good. And I, I think it's interesting that music, popular music, can be a site for theorizing. That's the other thing I, I would want to say, that, that I think it's, it's, it's not the, what we would say. We don't commonly think of, and I think this is pretty interesting, because I think every other art form we think is is valuable for being theorized, even inclusive of television, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in the last twenty years, say since Sopranos, Definitely. probably. So yeah. the the notion that television can be theorized, movies, of course, can be art, painting can be, ever sculpture, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, theater performance, theater like, performance, even like even memes. You know, like like people uh, like in in uh, media studies like uh, get get into this. I mean, that, that's a huge part of like, like, um, like current, like political theory, like, like the, like the, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting that people that theorize popular music, there are people that do, and they, they tend to theorize around it and not the Mm -hmm. actual songs themselves. So I think there's almost a, typically a, a, tacit admission that what they're doing is not, doesn't rise to the level of the seriousness of other analyses. But I, I think that's wrong. I think there there is a kind of seriousness to the, to a lot of popular songs. And I, I would even say that their psychic resonance is the key to their popularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. So like, and, and this is why, you know, the, probably the most exuberant pre-show you and I have done in a while, like we're very excited to get into this. So just some ideas at the beginning that we're going to, we're going to cover, we're not going to go in this order, but um, we're, we're definitely going to look at what we think are very important uh, fundamental concepts to psychoanalysis, such as enjoyment, drive, unconscious, and uh, and, and fantasy, um, and d- desire will make an appearance. Um, but we're going to start uh, with the idea of like to 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 make this inquiry requires uh, taking apart a little bit the song, not in a deconstruction way, but just. Um, adjusting one's thinking of a song from look from looking at it as a as a as a, a whole w h o l e document because and i'll just give an example like to a christmas example nat king cole's christmas song like it like i so i used to play and i used to play in uh shitty pop punk bands when i was younger i record i've been in a recording studio i've made music at home uh like so i know that music is done in pieces. We do this podcast and I know that like audio documents are, are, you know, constructed piecemeal, but a song like Nat King Cole's Christmas song, you just, you hear it, you hear those strings come in, you hear that vocal. And it just seems like this, like came out of the earth, completely wholly formed. Can you give us a few bars, Ryan, just for people that don't uh, have that? Um, I think chestnuts roasting on open there fire you go. is, is there you yeah, go. there you go. Yeah. Is, is, is how it normally, normally, uh, is, is referred to, I think colloquially. Yeah. Um, and it just, but it wasn't like the, the, the there, there were multiple takes there, like, you know, probably there, like someone, uh, didn't come in on the piano at the right time and like they had to do it again. And in fact, the, the cop, the recording of the Christmas song, the most famous one is, is from 1961, which is like the fourth, like final recording, like, fin- like, like master recording of the song that Nat King Cole did. He did three prior ones starting in, um, I think the oldest one is 45, but the one that's the most popular is one that was done in, in 1961. So there are other takes, of course, there are other people, but it just, 
when you hear a song, it's just, it, it's like, it's a complete whole document. And I think because of, you know, this is, this is one of like a, a, a fundamental and like kind of primary thing that, you know, you know, we would teach in, in a film studies course is that you, you want when you're, when you think about a film and you're analyzing a film, you know, you, you kind of like separate, like, this is the whole idea of mise-en-scene. You separate an image from like the, like you stop and you look at it in a kind of like removed, like that it is its own context. Right. And, and you want to get into the practice of understanding, you know, a synecdoche of the, of the image. How does this like one particular image, you know, Hitchcock is great for this relate to like what goes on thematically for the rest of the film. This is like, that's, that's like a big, big thing. And I think with music because, and especially popular music, because the songs are short, like it's just, it's, um, I don't know. It passes by in, in, in a way that is different from film where, where you like the, the, the moment for like introspection on like the construction of the, of the song. Like it just, that doesn't seem like that's a, a real way to enjoy it. Like I, like, like, you know, when you watch a movie, it, it often you can be like, wow, that's some really great acting or like, look at that shot, you know? And that is kind of separated from, from the thing with, with music maybe it's like, that's a great guitar solo or look, or, or, or think about that note. And it, I don't think that gets to the level of production. It stays on this level of like performance and the like, kind of like the conscious um, in like unfolding uh, of the, the, the song itself. So there's, yeah. there, there's a, there's a level where we, where we don't, again, it's the, the wholeness of the, of the document really, really, uh, dominates and doesn't provoke this kind of reflection in the same way that film does, but that doesn't, but I really, I think that's just a temp, that's just a temporality thing. Um, like you're just not sat with it for, for longer, or it takes years for you to think about, and we're going to get into this when it gets to, to like thinking about lyrics, like the first time that you hear a song, you accept it whole. And, and then it's only on like, you know, uh, repeat, listens that you start to pick out different things that you didn't hear the first time. So anyway, that's my like sort of initial salvo. And I want your uh, reaction take on this, like uh, on the, on the whole, on the wholeness of the, of the document. Yeah. I think it's, I think that's really good. And I do, I think you're exactly right that we, we read the song or we listen to the song, interpret the song as a whole with a W. And I think one of the things that, that shows that to be true is the way that the, the, the function that popular music usually has for us. And I think usually, and I think this is more true maybe than when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, you would buy a record and you would bring it home and you would put it on your turntable and then you would just lie on your bed. This is what I did. And <laughs> I knew friends that did this too. You'd lie on your bed and you listen to it a few times, right? Like to just mm-hmm. to, to experience the music. But my boys, like they are, they're, they're both 17. They... For them, their experience of music is con- it is the constant soundtrack of yeah. their lives, and they're you know it's it's even at school they have this soundtrack playing. So there's mm-hmm. no time that the soundtrack's not going on, and I think that is the key to the way it functions as a whole because mm-hmm. it's there to fill in the holes with an H, right? Like <laughs> nice. I think that yes. I think that's what, and it's true. In music, in in film, even right, like that's what music is doing in the film. Like you, yeah, you yeah, constantly, yeah. if you pay attention to a p- very popular film, 
you'll notice that there's almost no time in the film where there's not music going on. And I think that's precisely to play this function of filling in the gaps. So I think mm -hmm. it both fills in the gaps of our lives, it fills in the gaps of films, and it comes without any gaps itself. So I, or, or apparently. It seems I, to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. seemingly. And so I think that's really key to how it functions psychically within the, within the social order. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is like, this is why this is the first move, right? This is like the first move of a, like, as you know, we're going to try to do here is like a, as a, a dialectical engagement with, with like songs or just like music in general is that like, it has to be separated. Like, like you, you take, take the, take the pieces and uh, see how they work theoretically. So the first one that I, that, that I want to get into something we talked about on this podcast before is, uh, is mishearing. And I think like mishearing lyrics is common. It is uh, like like rampant, ubiquitous, like I, ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah, totally. And like I, you know, full. I mean, I've said this on the podcast before. Full disclosure: I, because of the car accident, I have I have tinnitus. I don't hear so well out of my left ear, and I because I broke the bones in your the, my ear that one is not aware they have until that happens to you. So I hope that never happens to anybody. Um, but but even even without that, like I would like I, of course I'm going to miss here lyrics it's, it's not a it's not about it's not about getting like the correct volume or clarity or resolution and the reason i'm making this point is that um uh someone like steven pinker has commented on like mishearing song lyrics and in, in in like evolutionary psychology and like the way that he and a lot of other people tend to approach this as a phenomenon is just that it's a mistake so pinker this is a reading from the wikipedia part is that the mishearings tend to be less plausible than the original lyrics. And I think that again, this is his, and his whole take, I mean, you can read this on the Wikipedia page is that like people get kind of like wrapped up in the, in the mistake and, and like can hold on to it stubbornly, but like it's still, it's still a mistake. Um, and that it's less plausible. And this is all at the level of being like correct or incorrect. And what, we want to talk about with mishearing. And I think this is the, this is the, the great point is that mishearings are at the level of the Freudian slip. There is something that is revealing about the subject in a mishearing. And, um, I'm not the first person to say this, Todd McGowan. Sigmund Freud really? Said Who this. said it before? Sigmund Freud said this. Oh my God. It, unbelievable. So this is from, cause I said I was going to quote from, uh, from pages. Uh, this is, uh, from the second lecture in, um, introductory lectures on psychoanalysis and it's a section that's titled parapraxies and, the, and this where he where he you know talks about most famously slip of the tongue but i'm just going to read this a little bit uh ladies and gentlemen we will not start with postulates but with an investigation let us choose as its subject certain phenomena which are very common and very familiar but which have been very little examined and which since they can be observed in any healthy person have nothing to do with illnesses there are what are known as parapraxies to which everyone is liable. It may happen, for instance, that a person who intends to say something may use another word instead, a slip of the tongue, or he may do the same thing in writing and may or may not notice what he has done. Or a person may read something, whether in print or manuscript, different from what is actually before his eyes, a misreading, or he may hear wrongly something that has been said to him, a mishearing, on the assumption, of course, that there is no organic disturbance of his powers of hearing. So, I'm just going to stop it here. What Freud does is he puts mishearing at the same 
level as a slip of the tongue. Um, and there are, there are even other, uh, other kinds of, um, errors that, that, that he goes into talking about the do you, errors. I have a unquote. question for you, Ryan. Yeah, do you think that he would make it even more primary if he lived in the era of the radio? I think the yeah, radio was invented right toward the end of his life, but don't you think like he would have, yes. he would have, he would have said that it happens even more often mm-hmm. than, and I think it would have been his primary example in psychopathology of everyday life, right? Like yes. that, because it happens so often. And and I think there's an argument to be made for it's your desire is actually more present in your unconscious desire is more present in the act of mishearing even than it is in the slip of a tongue. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Or like misreading. I mean, like, I know that like, I just, it, it, like a, this has happened, happens to me a lot. It, um, that if I don't want to do something and I, it's scheduled, I will completely misread the time and date that oh, I have to do that thing. I do it all the time. I all know. the time. Yeah. <laughs> I once, I, I have a kind of a funny story. So I, my first class I ever taught at Loyola Marymount University, mm. I, I, I was sitting in my office and all of a sudden some student from the class comes over to my office and says, why didn't we have class today? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Oh it's not until 20 minutes from now. And then she's like, no, 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 you've missed it. And I'm like, I just sat there in my office and I just got the wrong time for the, my first, luckily I wasn't immediately fired, but that I huh. just to prove that that happened, I think it happens all the time, you know, that, and I think. Todd, that song, exact thing, this is crazy. That exact happened to me my second semester at UVM. The wow. exact same thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's just it's kind of crazy how it happens, and I think it happens to me. You know, like I I miss meetings. Of course, meetings at a, for a university for us are the worst thing that we have to do. Uh, I miss meetings all the time because I have the I have the time wrong. What, what's funny is I never miss my tennis matches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always there for those. So that's interesting. But I would say I would say the song is even more relevant than that because. The song is usually about something, it's an arena of desire, right? Like usually mm-hmm. the song is talking about like love or loss mm-hmm. or some kind of fantasy, and we inject our thing. And I, I think the other thing that's interesting is, and Pinker I don't think could deal with this, that we often interject a piece of nonsense that doesn't make yeah. any sense at all. I was thinking of, so this is in a movie, so it's the song by England Dan and John Ford Coley, I really want to see you tonight. I think is the name of the song. Mm-hmm. And 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 Samuel L. Jackson is singing the song as it's playing on the radio, and he goes, "I'm not talking about John Lennon, but I really want to see." <laughs> and, and Gina Davis goes, uh, "That's not John. That doesn't make any sense at all. Why he would say I'm not talking about John Lennon? It's it's I'm not talking about moving in." And mm. and it's interesting. I think that that like it's an absolute nonsense, John Lennon, and yet. Mm-hmm. That that he he got incredible enjoyment. You could see it. I thought the film did a great job of this. Like he got incredible enjoyment from singing that lyric at that time. So I think the I think you actually enjoy the nonsense. Even though I am going to have another example that where it's not nonsensical but actually mm. revelatory. But but I think that <laughs> a lot of times we do include nonsense and enjoy the nonsense. Absolutely, and just like uh, just really quickly the. Um, first person who helped me with, um, with mishearing, uh, as an idea and, and like directed me to this passage in introductory lectures, Hugh Mannon, Clark university. Hey, Hugh, I know he listens to the show. So just wanted to shout him out on that, on, on that, the, I, yeah. So the miss, the, the enjoyment of the mishearing, uh, like is absolutely something that is not in the dimension that Pinker looks at it as a, as a mistake. 
and someone like clinging to a mistake again, clinging to an error. And this isn't Freud's point at all. Um, but that there is something unconsciously very satisfying about this. I'm going to give two mishearings from my family. I, can uh, I ask you one question? Oh, go ahead. Do you yeah, think yeah, a ahead. cigar is ever a cigar in this case? Wow. Um, I'm tempted to say no, but that's probably too extreme. Yeah, I think it's more fun to say no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it, like just, just that it. Um, yeah, that's really, really great. Um, yeah, an, an like an anodyne mishearing. Well, yeah, I just, just one that just doesn't mean anything. But I yeah, think it almost always, because I think obviously there are, there are, there are slips that don't that just are mistakes, right? Yeah, of course. But but I think I mean Freud's point is that the enjoyment though comes from the you know, we've used this term all the time, short circuit, comes from the yeah. detour. So yeah. even if it's an innocent mistake, you're getting the, or innocent mistake, like doesn't, it doesn't have any psychic resonance. You're mm-hmm. still getting the enjoyment of the detour. So I think in that sense, I think there is no, there is no cigar, it's just a cigar, like everyone, but that's true for even verbal slips too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I think that I'm tempted to be more extreme on that than Freud is. Yeah. That, that even yeah. even on even on on just regular the verbal slip. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. yeah. Um, that's interesting. I, yeah, I mean, I think even even going back to like, um, I wanted to mention this like in poetry, like it's it's um, uh, Sylvia Wright has the um the etymology of the of uh, Mondegrine, like it begins with her and her misunder her mis here. This is a uh, was it. She wrote this. This is because I'm again on on the Wikipedia page of for for Mondegreen, um, that Wright described how as a young girl she misheard the last line of the first stanza from the 17th century ballad "The Bonnie Earl Amore." Uh, she wrote, "When I was a child, my mother used to read aloud from Percy's uh, Relics, and one of my favorite poems began as I remember: Ye Highlands and Ye Lowlands, oh where ha, ha ye been? They has slain the Earl Amore and Lady Mondegreen." The correct fourth line is and laid him on the green. Oh, wow. And so then so this so she says That's where the, the point, concept comes. Yeah. Yeah. The point yeah. about what I shall hereafter call monogreens, since no one else has thought of a word for them, is that they are better than the original. That's what she says. And right. I think that she's so I for one, I think she's correct. And then the second thing is I think that it names some I, I think it names two things. I think it names a truth in the subject, and I also think that like it, it names a truth in the in, in the object as well. Right. Um that I mean, and we've talked about this with like film famous film line mishearings are often like they're often they get to the point is usually what happens. Like badges we don't need no stinking badges is not the line from right. treasure of Sierra Madre. Right. It's, it's, it's more, it's the, it's, it is what's being said, but it's not, it is the spirit of it. Right. I think, yeah. I think that's true of every filmic misremembering. Like you, yeah. you remember the spirit of it and you should have, that should have been the line. Yeah. Like yeah. Hillary and I yeah. always misremember from Dr. Strangelove. We always think he says, I'm sorrier than you, Dimitri, but he says, yeah. I'm sorry too, Dimitri. And it would be much better would if be he said, better. I'm sorrier than you. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> like that's just such a better way yeah. to put it. So I, I think that, I think that I absolutely think that's right. And I think it's true with music too. Yeah. And so, yeah, we can, we can get like, there, there's a, a commercial um, that aired in America for a long time. That was uh, people singing mishearings to Elton John's rocket man. Like there's just like a, like a I bunch. remember that. Yeah. 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 And like, it's more, it's kind of more fun. And I, so I'll give a couple from, this is again, two, 
two family mishearings, uh, which I like a lot. I think I'll mention one on this podcast before is my, my sister, uh, garage land, the song by the clash on their first album. Yeah. My sister did not hear that phrase garage land. She heard Gary's bags. (laughs) So we've, (laughs) we've, we've, we've come. So what she, the line is we come from garage land. We're a garage band. You know, like, because that's how the English say garage. Like, we say right, garage. Right, right, That's funny right. the way that I flipped it around. But, like, yeah. the, um, but she heard it as, we've come for Gary's bags. <laughs> Where are Gary's bags? <laughs> and it's, <laughs> like, and it's, um, it's really, really funny, like, to me. And, and I, uh, like, it, that made more sense to my sister, that people would be looking for something. Dan, right. it's about, like, really... I, I don't know. Like, I mean, well, I think it's that sexual too, isn't it, Ryan? I mean, is it? That's interesting. Wow, don't you think? Like, you're ba- think? like bag is that my yeah. boys use that as a slang all the time for their. Okay. You know, that's interesting. I mean, I suppose I definitely don't want to say that because it's my sister <laughs> that we're talking about. <laughs> so the but yeah, probably. I mean, I also think there's a. I mean, the song is is about class, and I think that that there's a that's gotcha hard gotcha. to hear. Yeah. Like, and, and uh, there's a class dimension to it, but yeah, yeah, no. Okay. That wasn't, I gotta say that was that as a f- phrase, like for where, when, when I was growing up, I don't think that I heard. Didn't exist. Okay. No, I don't know. But I mean, maybe you're, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm not going to. I mean, where I, li- where I grew up, it was an absolutely common phrase. And especially if you got hit there, like with a baseball, which I once got hit like that, <laughs> you would get bagged. That was what it, uh-huh. that's how you called it. So. Well, so this is pretty good. I mean, this is why you're not supposed to psychoanalyze your family. That's but, right. Like, that's right. The, yeah. gonna <laughs> so I'm going to not say come to you for analysis. Clearly no, absolutely not. not. So this, so this next one, I'm going to not say which family member of mine this is, okay, but okay. Uh, a, an absolutely top level mishearing of an excellent squeeze song. I mean, like most squeeze songs are excellent. Um, pulling muscles from a shell. Oh, good. Is um, someone in my family misheard this as pulling muscles, M-U-S-C-L-E-S, for Michelle. Okay. It's <laughs> 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 another sexual slime. It is. It is. It that is. That would be even more clearly, right? right? I think that's more clearly sexual. And it's also more, it's also, I think, pretty revealing about this particular person's view of relationships, which is like you're hurting yourself for someone right, else. Right, right. Well, um, that's a pretty good view of a relationship, I think. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not a bad reading. I think that's um, sort of what it is. I don't know that there's a debate about so, that. Let's do. I want to do one here. You, 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 um, you, I know you're a, a fan of The Cure. Yeah. Correct. Okay. No, I love The how Cure. Well, yeah. How well do you know, um, Pictures of You? I know it really. That's, that's my favorite Cure song. So there we favorite go. Favorite Cure song. Okay. So I want you to fill in the blank. Now, hold on. Um, now, we, we're going to play a little game later, but did I just reveal myself that I'm a real Cure fan or that I'm not really a Cure <laughs> ooh, fan? Ooh, ooh. Um, no, I think that's a, I think that's it's okay. A, yeah. I think that's a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what would be a, I think someone um, who who wants to I think someone who wants to be seen as a Cure fan, um, like they they really want the the uh the like the affect of it. Yeah, I think they might say something like, they might be really perverse and say something like killing an Arab. Right there, you go. That would yeah. be really perverse. Yeah, yeah. I think that's they like, even had to have a a disclaimer on that song. I think when they they did, yeah, that it was about the stranger. That was the stranger. Yeah, yeah. About anyway. Kamu. Sorry. Go ahead. So, no. Okay. Cure. All right. All right, you were bigger, brighter, and blank than snow. Fill in the blank. That's a line from Pictures of You. You were bigger, brighter, and blank than snow. And 
I don't know. Prettier than snow? I can't remember. Oh, oh, okay. Well, all right, so my game didn't work out. It sounds like he says, like, what makes sense is that he says whiter, but he doesn't. He says wider. Wider than snow. Yeah, and I think this is an intentional Mondegreen. Like, and I, I am tempted to say that. Oh, the, I always the, thought it was whiter. So I remember you always that said now. it was whiter. I always okay. thought it was whiter. Yeah, it's not. It's wider. You were bigger and brighter and wider than snow. And wow. I think that's an that's that is um, Robert Smith and and he wants attempt- to be misheard. Yeah, I really think so. Like, I like because it's a that's a total subversion. I even think a little bit that the squeeze song is. Um, like just the, the way that it has to be to kind of too. Yeah. It, it is a little bit. Yeah. Because pulling, behind, you pull a muscle in your body. You don't, pull yeah. a mu- I mean, you would be, I mean, I don't know what you call it when you take muscles out of their shell, but I don't, I guess maybe you call it pulling. I don't know. Anyway. Well, that is, that, that is a sexual slang too. And yeah. I've, I've, cause I looked this up earlier, like pulling muscles. Um, and the, I mean the whole, the whole song, like they do it, uh, they well, do they have a lot of songs like they that, do don't they? Yeah. Like, like tempted by I mean, the tempted. fruit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, there, there's a, and I think it's fun. Like there, there was something that um, I think it was uh, Questlove said when when Sly Stone um died from Sly and the Family Stone. One of the things that he that Questlove uh, of the the Roots said about him, I remember seeing that like he was uh bet, like better than anybody at Mondegreen. And, um, and I think like, if you listen to family affair, um, that, that really great Sly and the family stone song, um, it's sometimes it like, you don't really know what he's saying because like the way that he enunciates words, it's like, um, I don't know. There's just like, there's like a, there's like a smokiness to, to his voice, but like every word really slides into the next right, one right. and it's, it's very hard, um, to have a quote correct. But, but again, that's not that's not the point. Like, like you want to have this, uh, the, the, I think that this encounter where, uh, is, is much, is much richer than if you could just understand. I mean, and, and of course, you know, uh, your, uh, one of your favorite bands, I mean, like Michael Stipe is of REM is one of the, one of the I, best at, at this. I know. I want to talk about that in a second, but I, I want to give yeah. you mine, my, my one that I, I just, I, I had for like 20 years, something. Okay. okay so yeah, it's a please, song please. by Led Zeppelin called mm-hmm. fool in the rain very of course oh. famous song by them mm-hmm. and i always thought it the the chorus went like all the love that i've found mm, like okay. all the and i and, and i i like that it would be but it, the real line is light of the light of the love i've mm. found so so it's it's a it turns it into a i mean it's a kind of sad song anyway because of the rain kind of uh, undoes the light but it, it it's much more like a repet- I turned it into a song of like repetition of the loss of love, right? Like that's mm. or like the a, a, a disastrous course for the love. So I think that's, and I, I think I, I mean the point is right that the the way that you change the song is mm-hmm. is that's what's revealing the unconscious to you, and and it actually creates this kind of uncount encounter with the unconscious after you learn what the real <laughs> lyric is, right? Yeah. Because if you think it's the actual lyric, then it doesn't have that effect at all. But like, I never had that sense until I, I just have to confess that I just found it out today because I thought, Oh, I want to maybe say something about fool in the rain. And I looked up the lyric and I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> like I've had that lyric wrong all the time. So I think that that's a, that's a, it's it, that that's where the encounter takes place. It's like a, 
it's retroactively only because when you're actually yeah. doing it, you don't know unless someone corrects you right at the time. Mm. Yeah, I, I love this. And isn't it, I mean, this is, I think, another dimension here. Isn't it a little disappointing when you, of course, right. you know, like, like I, so, um, as I mentioned earlier, like I, so I like, um, like a lot of, uh, <laughs> like a lot of white dudes with beards, uh, I can play guitar and, um, I will, you know, when I want to play, let's uh, say guitar, you like play a, really well, let's let's oh. cut out the like white guy with beard. I mean, you play really well. You're oh, really you, good. Todd. Yeah. That's very sweet. That's yeah. That's right. You're oh, I remember. Oh yeah. That's right. When Hillary had a guitar and I came over one time. Yeah. It's just, playing, he just picks it up and like it. plays 20 Beatles songs for you. So it's like, you know, it's a that's, little bit disingenuous. All right. That's with the beard. Yeah, okay. All right. I, I strike that from the record and that's sweet of you to remember that. Uh, th- so I will, you know, when I want to play, like I'll, like I'll go online and look up songs that I don't know and I'll, I'll play them and I'll like, you haven't heard me sing. I don't sing very well. So I will try to just like sing out the, the song too. And that always means I have to learn what the lyrics are to the song. And I always, I, I almost always, it's disappointing. It's sometimes, disappointing, right? sometimes it'll be like, Oh, I never knew that they said this. And that's like kind of fun, but I don't, I just don't, I, I don't like it. And it, and, and it's, there's maybe, there's probably a selfish dimension to that, which is like, I liked the thing that I thought it was, but it's also like, um, I don't know. It's maybe, I mean, would you, would you say that's like kind of castrating when, when you, when you, when you learn you were wrong or is that like, well, I think it's more the opposite, right? Like I think when you learn the actual lyrics, I think it's the encounter with the other's castration, right? Like, Ah, like you had this incredible image of what the other was doing. Yeah. And then, and then you read, get the actual lyrics. You're like, well, that's not so great. And I think, (laughs) I mean, let's, let's talk about REM, which is my favorite group to, to, to be a big reveal there. But, um, (laughs) but I, I think, yeah, like Michael Stipe is a great example of the voice as object. So that's a slightly Mm -hmm. different kind of encounter, right? Like that's a way in which your desire, you find your desire manifested in the object of the voice itself. And then the meaning or the signification always drops in the background to an an REM song. So I think, and, Mm. and what's interesting about them is that the, the, two guys that write that Mike Mills and Peter Buck who write the songs, they give the song to Michael Sipe and then he writes the lyrics. So there's an absolute division of labor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty fascinating. And then he just, he just tries to fit the voice in and it'll even say when it lists on the, on the album, the instruments that everyone plays, his instrument is the voice, which I really, yeah. I really yeah. think that's pretty great. So I think it would be interesting if Lacan had, had talked about the voice as a <laughs> one of the forms of the objet off. He had listened to our he could he just missed it I think because I think Murmur came out in <laughs> in eighty one right after he died so right it's oh, it's yeah. unfortunate but I think that if he had heard them he really would have said like that's the great example of the voice as object. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, well, I mean, but 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 I mean, it would I mean, this is just such a minor point, but like, I don't. I also don't know, like, because there really isn't in our. Um, unless I've like I've missed some very obvious things, I apologize for having missed them. But like, I feel like our like our circle doesn't engage with popular music. Zero. None of our people do. I yeah. mean, our friends. But no, no one does. Yeah. 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 I mean, not even in tangent. I mean, Hugh Manning would be the closest, I think. I that, think so. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no one does. And I think it's interesting that there's just not this, 
I just don't know enough about music to do it. But, um, but I think that, that comes yeah. up. That's what Hugh, that's one of the things that Hugh said is that like for some of the, for some of the, and this is like why, this is why we were, um, going back and forth on like this idea of mishearing is because for him, what stopped him from writing is like not under, not really knowing music theory and not knowing like musicology. And like, yeah. he's run into this yeah. with like, with like publication. And then I said that I like, like I, this was the second lack. I, I just said to him, like, like I think mishearing is this like different, um, orientation to the, to the object that, like, yeah, I don't I mean, think you need to know about it to talk about that. I, I yeah, agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you. But I mean, to talk, I think in a sustained way about music, it'd, it'd be like if someone yeah. didn't know anything about the whole history of film theory and just wanted to start talking about it. I mean, Fair that's, enough. they're, rel- yeah. they're, they're welcome to do it, but they're going to be saying things that just seem, you know, that off. seem ig- off or ignorant even. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I think it's the same thing, but I, I, yeah, I think that that, I, I do like the idea of the voice, as, I mean, I think it can be, you could use it as an example, I imagine, as mm-hmm. a, you know, without like totally focusing your analysis on that. But I, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really such a great way to understand it because, and I think that's true. I'm, I'm tempted to say it's true in almost every song that we listen to that we're really enjoying the voice as an object and, yeah. and the sense is almost an alibi for that enjoyment so that you're, you give yourself a, a way to kind of feel like it's okay. Cause you're striving to understand what's being said when it's really actually just the voice that you're, you're enjoying. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's right on. And, and I think that it's imp- why I, why I like this is that like, you know, um, th- if I, I think more, I think people are more, um, there are more mis there are more mishearings and misreadings like in, in one's daily life than, um, misspeaking. Uh, and, and, and I do, and I, I don't know, maybe like you could stumble again, you know, this takes me back to that thing. Like, do I think cigar is ever cigar? I don't know. Because like, wouldn't you say that like, even like stumbling over a word for someone who doesn't have like a, a speech, like disfluency or something like that, there is your evidence of resistance, yeah, you know, yeah, you know like sure. some kind of stumbling, sure. like, like yeah. again, a literal kind of stumbling block, yeah. um, a stumbling block of sense, like a quite literal yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think so. So mishearings, I think very, um, un, underrated, but, but powerful territory to begin to like, look at like a, an inquisition into the unconscious and especially like, cause there are two things here is that like, and, and this is really important is that there's the, the individual level, like, what is it like, your like your psychoanalysis of my sister, uh, like at the you know at the individual level, what the mishearing reveals, but also there are cultural and social uh, ones. Like uh, again, mis, 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 this is more misremembering, yeah, as well as mishearing from film, uh, but also like music mishearings that that become very popular. Like you know, Jimi Hendrix. This is a very right, Purple Haze, is, right. like. Purple hit, which is a phrase, the original lyric was Jesus saves. And then he changed it to yeah. purple haze. And it's like kind of more like drug and evocative and more sixties and, and, you know, and, and that whole thing. And people think the, the mishearing, excuse me while I kiss this guy, this guy. Right. And right. Y- you know, there's something about 
free love in there, right? Like that's like right. that's, I think right. that is part of what sub, sub, uh, like supports that cultural mystery in that being like why it's not just the way that he sings it, but there's this right. like you know what do people like Jimi Hendrix is like this like kind of psychedelic rock music and uh, you know the whole sexual revolution is wrapped up in that and this would be like a, a song that has to do with that as well. So like, the, like you can take the mishearing uh, and it has a, so it has a social dimension that I think the slip of the tongue doesn't. Right. Um, uh, like, it can be widely you know, shared. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Right. Right. Whereas I'm, of course, you know, <laughs> when, when uh, I think George Bush was one of the best, uh, you master. know, our, Master. The master, our, our enemies never stop thinking, stop of thinking ways. about ways to hurt this country, and neither, neither do we. Do we. Yeah. Yep, the okay. Republican, yes, yeah, un- unbelievable, fantastic, unbelievable. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, very reveal. Or, like, I loved this when Bernie Sanders was running for president, and um, uh, you know, in the before times of before COVID and MSNBC, I think I don't know if it was. The CEO, there was somebody on MSNBC who was talking about it, that he's a threat to this company, I mean country. <laughs> and it's like, and, yeah. and there's two things there where like he would be a threat to MSNBC, but also he'd be a threat to, to, to business, right? Like yeah, to some, companies in general. Right? In general, it's a wonderful right. mishearing. Um, so do you mentioned Led Zeppelin. Do we want to talk about the partial object a little yeah. bit? And this will help yeah. us talk about like fantasy yeah. and, and, and things. Um, because I want to position within, so we have one thing as like a music concept that I think is very helpful is the idea of mishearing and mishearing lyrics, widespread general, uh, it's, it's why people go to, you know, these like lyric, these websites that host lyric pages are like, they, they, they're supported by ads. Like people go to them, like, you know, it's terrible though, Ryan, it's terrible. I, 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 I lament it so much. I think it was so much better when I was a kid and you just had no way to know. You know, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Like, I think it's definitely. just terrible, terrible. So it's, that, yeah, but, but Led Zeppelin. So I think we're going to talk mostly about the song Cashmere, which we, yes. I think we agree is their best song. I think we agree. What does this say about us, right? Yeah, like you could, yeah <laughs> we can be psychoanalyzed. Um, yeah. But what, I think what we, we, What's uh, what's telling about this song is the way in which the repetition. I think to to enjoy the song is to enjoy the repetition of the certain guitar riff, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and the riff is the great, I think, part object of of a of a of a, of a, of a song. And you, you know, and there there. I mean, there are books. People like like this is one of like the like a great like rock critic thing to do would be like you know like ten greatest guitar riffs. Right. And that's like you're not even talking about the whole song. You're right. It's this it's this part object that you're engaging with. It's maybe it's maybe the the most available mise en scene for for music is right. to, to, to look at this. I, I don't know. Like um, I, we, we had this conversation, Interstate Love Song, Stone Temple Pilots. I don't know that that's a great song, but my God, that's a great guitar riff. Like right. I, like I love it. Um, and anyway, so, yeah. So the riff um, and Cashmere takes us to like the nth degree. Cause it's like an 11 minute song. It's very long. On, and it, and on, it a, basic, on a double album too. Right. Right. And it's basically just that. I mean, there, there, <laughs> there is a, there is a, there are lyrics to it, but it's basically, even the lyrics are set to that same riff, right? Like it, it mm-hmm. you really are caught up in it. Like what's interesting, I think is that they take the part object and then construct the whole song out of the part object rather than, the other mm-hmm. way around, which I think is, re- I think there's something really revelatory about that, about the way in which there is no 
the whole is pieced together only, and yeah. that's why it's fractured. Yeah. And it's fractured, <laughs> and it and, and it's pieced together out of these little partial objects of enjoyment that then get expanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I mean, and and I don't know. There are probably few riffier part object bands than uh, Led Zeppelin. Right. Like, uh, it's interesting that that Stairway might He's be not there. that. I know. It's not that at all. Yeah, I know. yeah. I know. I was going to say, like, their most famous song doesn't really do that. But, but the guitar other, solo is famous, but it's not, it's, it's not, a, it's not riffy. It's like, not like, like a riff. And it also doesn't repeat throughout the song. Like, the song builds. Like, that's a song that really, it's mm-hmm. unlike a lot of pop songs, I think, because of that. Like, its structure is really moving towards something, right? Rather than just yeah. focused on a repetition. And I think most of their songs. Are Black instead, Dog's a great example. Right, right. right. Yeah. Are focused on repeti- the repetition of a Jimmy Page guitar yeah. riff, right? Like, I mm-hmm. think that's what they, that's what Ramble they really... Ramble On. Uh, yeah, so many of them. Ramble On, I was thinking that's a good one of the way in which that riff just gets... Like, again, that's another one where the song gets made out of the the part object of the riff. Mm-hmm. Dire Maker. We could do this all day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, let's not. <laughs> We're not do that. Yeah, we'll not do yeah. that. But yeah, but yeah that, I think that's... that's um, so that's that's important and a fundamental concept to, uh, to to psychoanalysis. And so what I think what music adds to I think this this discussion of uh, of the part object and this is what's really really crucial and what Led Zeppelin specifically and the song Cashmere is the repetition. And I think this brings us to like understanding how drive and enjoyment are tied together. Like it is, you know it. it Right. I think maybe an maybe an easy way is that like you can only enjoy that riff in cashmere because it does release every once in a while. Like it and it goes into like the more like the cascading sort of like orchestral thing. Right. 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 But but that that I think would that would not be the psychoanalytic reading. The, no, and the, I think I think that what you're enjoying again is the is the very partiality of the drive, that the drive mm-hmm. is focused on part objects. And I think the part object, I think, you know, Lacan links those to the body, but I think it's, I think what's interesting is if you think about them in terms of music, then they're, they're still linked to obviously to hearing and to the body in that sense. But I think that Mm -hmm. you're, I think that shows how pliable the object is, right? Like that the object can be whatever. And it just, it's really just an occasion for the structuring of the drive and its repetition. And I think that like, it seems to me like that that pop songs are really, and I think this is one reason why people are really critical of them, although it's a little yeah. bit misplaced because certainly like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony has a lot of repetition in it too, yeah. right? So it's weird that that's a criticism. But I think part of the thing is that the pop song is only its repetition, right? There's not yeah. any, yes. there's really nice often point. not much else to it. And so I feel like that's the, that you, that there is a kind of like mini experience of the drive in every time you enjoy the pop song that has that repetition in it. What's interesting is we mentioned REM before and REM is, I think, absolutely unique because not, I'm sure I shouldn't say that. Someone will probably say, <laughs> Oh, what about blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah, but sure. they, they, their songs almost never have a chorus and they really don't have Often, some of their better songs don't have this repetition so much to them. So it's much yeah. more of the kind of encounter that we're not expecting. But anyway, so but I yeah. think Led Zeppelin is all about the repetition. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, even I mean that there's even like a second level too. If you want to talk about how 
there's a <laughs> the Simpsons doesn't often do this kind of commentary, but there, there there's an episode where they go to England. The Simpsons do, and Homer is like looking with binoc- uh, binoculars out across the River Thames, and he's saying the you know the famous sights he's seeing, and one of the one of the sights he sees are is Led Zeppelin, the greatest thieves of American black music of uh, of all time. Like I think that's the line from the from the Simpsons. Oh, so that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. So there's some. So there is. That's that's another way of like. That's another way of looking at repetition that I th- that, uh, through Led Zeppelin that involves. Uh, I mean, definitely involves like uh, uh, like race and, and cultural critique as well. This like um, this doubling of. I mean, the, the who it, it's not who who do they Willie Dixon? I think might be the person that they took took the most from. Uh, that Jimmy Page took the most from, but I mean, you know, other American black musicians like, you know, Robert Johnson uh, and uh, the Rolling Stones did the same thing. Like this was just like, this was, uh, this was a, is is a common practice in in rock music. And um, it's the basis of rock music, I think. Yeah, I think that's true. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, that's why like people like the, the, there's, um, there's this criticism of, do you know this? There's criticism of, um, Back to the Future, where it's actually this fantasy where white people came up with black music first. Uh, that's pretty of, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the the scene, of course, where he's playing Johnny B. Good, and right. then yeah. Although so, he is, so, he is. Oh, I guess he is taking it from Chuck Berry, though. Yeah, <laughs> like, of like it's an interesting kind of causality. Right, right, right. But I, I get uh, the critique. That, that makes sense. I mean, Zemeckis isn't the most enlightened <laughs> filmmaker anyway but yeah but, uh, anybody that made forrest gump should you know uh, in terms of their it's racism, true well it is very much a, it's is very much someone taking a chess critique to checkers um so so that's it's so it's, it's correct but like it's like yeah. I, I i don't think zemeckis is at the is at that level either like he clearly i clearly he just thinks it's a bit of fun yeah. And, you know, just like his movie about, yeah, we don't have to talk about Forrest Gump. I know we've done it before, but like clearly he thinks all of that's a bit of fun, but it just like completely ignores. Uh, every, so the just again, very quickly, I know we said this before, but like the dumb, the like, and I'm uh, like just taking the, um, the like to bracket the disability angle, but like really you have, so, you have someone who questions nothing and falls backwards into wealth in and in, in everything like the white guy who does that like right. he he is everything and then the the the, the white woman who is ab- abused sexually by her father questions every always questions specifically patriarchy throughout the entire film she's and punished she, with aids right yeah and then like i think recently said it's the the i think zanika said it's not aids it's like and it's well, like it's too early to be aids but but it's clearly that's, that that's what they're suggesting. So. Clear, yeah, right. That's one of those things where it's not yeah. that it's not the thing that it is because of the temporality of the film, but not when the film came out. Right. Right. Like so. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Um. But yeah, back to the back. But Todd, let's. You know, we used to be about the music. Yeah. <laughs> we should. We should really just. We could talk about the power of love if we're talking about back to the future. <laughs> that's, well, that's true. <laughs> but let's not. Um. Instead, let's let's talk about. Uh, the replacements, maybe. Oh, so that's a, the replacements are a, right. So a couple of things. What do you want to say about the replacements? I think that they are pure enjoyment. enjoyment yeah, pure enjoyment. And I think what's interesting about the enjoyment that they offer is that they offer it through. Uh, well, one of their songs is called "Unsatisfied," and I think mm-hmm. I think that they offer it through 
this exploration of dissatisfaction and the failure of the sexual relationship. And I wonder, I actually think that a lot of songs like this, and I think this is one of the things that people enjoy about popular songs is the way in which they explore the failure of the sexual relationship itself as a site for enjoyment. You know, like I think mm-hmm. I was just thinking, you know, the song Skyway where like she's up above and he's down below. And, and I think that's really good. And I think the song within your reach, which is about like he's within her reach. And then that's when he's out of, that's when he's out of, he can't mm-hmm. connect with her when he's within her reach. So I thought that's mm. a nice little paradox. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. and I think this song I'll be you also is a nice one about the way in which the satisfaction is over there only in the other person. And that, and that once I get close to it, then I don't, I don't get it so that the enjoyment is only in this, that's this kind of vicarious nature to all enjoyment. I almost think that's one of the things that they really are are good about, like this idea yeah. that enjoyment is always external or, or it's always in this relationship of, of vicariousness to it. I think that's really great. That's a, that's a great reading. I mean, I, I think to me, I was also thinking about, um, uh, you know, Alex Chilton. The, the yeah, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in, I'm in love with that song. Yeah. Right, like there's that pause. I think that that that's like really important about that song. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. in love. Pause with that song, and and it's the again, it's the like it's the object. It's through the it's through it's through the song through Alex Chilton that like this entire like like this love and discovery of music can can flourish. Like that's like the, that's the only thing that can happen. That's there's also I'll, I'll even go a little bit further with them. I think that they, um, I'll give two album, uh examples where they subvert their own albums. Good. And I think this is another way of like thinking about re- replacements and drive. Yeah. Um, I, so uh, Tim is a great album. Uh, of, like great album. that's, that's, I mean, that's just like saying like pizza is good, you know, yeah. but yeah. it's, um, but lay it down clown con- entirely interrupts everything happening musically in that album. And I'm not going to say that if I think it's a good song or a bad song, but it's, it, it is an interruption uh-huh. Uh, to to what's going on, it's a little bit like in Let It Be, when I think it's the start of side two is their cover of uh of a Kiss song, Black Diamond. So it's this other like interruption of uh of like of their own thing, and I, and I think that this, you know, there was this this essay that I read a long time ago in a book that was called like the um like the alt rock uh, Bible or something like this. This was in the nineties when alt didn't. Uh, wasn't a co-opted official genre. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when it was also, well, when it didn't just, when all didn't mean uh, fascism. Fasc- uh, oh, right, 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 yeah, right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. But you know, like, you know, like alt uh, uncle Tupelo is alt country like that, you know, that was right. like, like that kind of thing. But right. um, I forget who wrote the essay. Um, it might've even, it might've been someone in the band, but it was something like the five times the, like the, the replacements tried to ruin their lives or something like that. And it was, I mean, one story that I know I've told you that I love is that they decided it'd be really funny if they played a show without eyebrows. Uh, yeah. Like, that's a so great they, story. Yeah. yeah. So they all shaved their eyebrows and what they didn't realize was that your eyebrows stop sweat from going in your eyes. <laughs> and the poor drummer was just like playing this show blinded by the stupid thing that they did before. There's another story about like Paul Westerberg, like, like, like chasing a cop with like a, with like a chain. Like he had like a, like a bike chain, like, like going like nuts. Uh, there was something like that. And then there's this other, this story was not in that, but uh, it was something I heard from, um, I heard this at a, I heard this at a record shop 
um, that uh, they when they were remastering their albums, they got really drunk and they were in New York doing this. I forget what studio, and they decided that you know what would be really great because they're not good at remastering. Someone else should do this. You know who should do it? Prince. <laughs> Prince should do this. You know who lives kind of near New York, but it's like like he's like secluded. It's Prince. And but you know what? The East River, Todd McGowan, snakes behind his house. So if we throw, this is the thought process, the drunk th- thought process. We throw the master tapes into the East River. They'll wash up behind his house, and he'll re- he'll remaster them, and it'll be incredible. And I like, I desperately, I want this story to be true. Like, but isn't didn't he live in Minneapolis? I thought, or he he moved to New York. He maybe he had this. You know what? It's even better if he didn't live. live if there he didn't all. live there, I mean, at all. like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. So, so yeah. So this, like, so the dimension of the of of the drive um, with the replacements, I think, it really, really nice. Like from the self destruction. Like, so right. it's the self destructive aspect of it too, but also this, like, um, I think, I really, really like this point that you made about like the. Um, like the the distance from your to, own enjoyment yeah has to be maintained or else you cannot um like you, you just you, you can't experience it yeah I, I, yeah I think that's that's really really nice and, and i do think that there are um you know there they are the band of that you know and i mean even like uh i think um swing and party is like for for what the song is for this is a song about um being hanged a uh, hanging right and I think that it's it's this like it's like a waltzy right like it's kind of a love a love song, song right yeah. yeah 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 which I think that's really like I think that's another thing that's really good about the way in which there's a you get and I think this is related to what I was saying like the opposition between the music and the lyrics like they're mm-hmm, they're oftentimes mm-hmm. the lyrics can be very dark and the music's very upbeat and I think yeah. that's a what's interesting is that's a contrast between them and REM because REM even though they're written to, the the lyrics and the and the music are written totally separately Michael Stipe would always try to mirror the tone of the music like mm-hmm. so shiny happy people he's like you wrote me a stupid sentimental song so <laughs> I'm going to write stupid sentimental lyrics to match yeah. your music mm-hmm. but I think they don't do that and I think it's because they do it yeah. all together like you know like some of the most like unsatisfied is a very depressing song yeah. lyrically but musically mm-hmm. it's a very it's kind of almost uh, it's almost a celebration of being unsatisfied yes. and right, bastards right. of young too like yeah. that's a that's a song that is very it's it's a it's a it's a on the level of the lyrics it's a kind of depressing song but on the level of of its sound i think it's not so i think they they really have that and i think that's part of this idea that the enjoyment is always it located elsewhere in the other and it's never we never have it and it and can you recognize that i think that's the key yeah i think that's super you know and just to to, to iterate on that too i think i always i think i always thought um left of the dial is a sadder song than it actually is like i mean i, I think that song is like literally about radio stations that were left of the dial i think is it like, is yeah it's <laughs> just like that's literally what it's about it's not a <laughs> it's not a but I, when i've heard it like forever like i always thought it's about like you know like um like i'll, I'll try to find you left of the dial right like, like, like you're just, lost yeah yeah I, that's, that's how i that's how but i don't i don't think that's that think yeah. that's that's a that's a thing i put in the song and then i took it right. out like which right. is which is i, right. I think w- happens a lot with music 
I wonder if the the way in which dreams are important in their songs too is is, is related to that, right? Like like you can like you can only find something in the dream, and then the dream you you're constantly woken. I was thinking of the song. This is a later song, Merry-Go-Round. You know, that? I really like mm-hmm. this song. And it's the like in dreams, it's like you're that's the only time you can really have any kind of enjoyment. So that the enjoyment, like the the dream dimension of it is, is necessary to it. I, mm. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I completely agree. I just want to add it, Um, people may not know this in the United States left of the dial is where you would have found more alternative radio stations, right? Of oh, the dial very, is good. More popular. very good. So just, I wanted to add that. Cause I think it um, is about a, a woman that he's to play music with or heard play music. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and then th- where is he going to find her? So it's on the, and left of the dial. That's yeah. where, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so fundamental fantasy, the fundamental and, fantasy and, and more, and more than this, Todd McGowan, I know you want to talk about this. Yeah, I do. So <laughs> this is, by the way, I was going to say, there's a great, I want to talk a little bit about the, the times songs have been used perfectly in films. Cause that's yes. what you're alluding to. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Unsatisfied is it appears in the end of a really underrated film called Adventureland, and it's used oh, incredibly yeah. well. Um, it's with Jesse Eisenberg going to see um, what's her name, Kristen Stewart, mm-hmm. and and uh, but but yeah, I think like the the notion of so so the nothing more than this, the Roxy Music song appears gets. Get it, it gets uh, what's it called? Uh, do you know that car- you always do that? Do you, I, I wonder if you're aware of this. You always add nothing in the song title, and it's it, it's, it's not called there. more than this. I know it's just I know, yeah, I yeah. Know. no, no, no. I, I just because we had a conversation about this like several times before, but I, 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 you always do that. And I, I you have an essay, Todd has a great essay on Lost in Translation. Uh, that is that is that in the title of the essay? No, I hope not. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, the no, title of the essay is There's Nothing Lost in Translation. There is nothing lost in translation. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah that's a um, hot take. Todd's best essay on well, film. Wow, thank you. That's uh, I, I, God, what I said. Anyway, I, who cares what I would say? <laughs> um, but, but I think like that, that, so more than this, <laughs> we got it right this time. Yeah, they're they carry, I think Bill Murray karaoke's it in yes. the film, and I didn't know this, but. Sophia Coppola didn't have that chosen. Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray chose it together. And mm-hmm. I think it's really, I mean, Coppola let them pick it. So that was, it's her choice really. But I think that that, it's just such a perfect song for that film. But, and I, I think what it captures really is the way in which there's nothing beyond, right? Like that mm-hmm. the fantasy is really focused on the nothing Mm-hmm. not on everything that surrounds it, and that the enjoyment comes from this nothing at the heart of the fantasy, not from everything around it. I was wondering if you think, is there is it a similar, is it is this song similar? She's okay. Not There by the Zombies? Do you think, hmm. is, that, is that the same kind of thing, or is it not as sophisticated as the... as the Roxy Music one? Is it more, huh. is it more like she's just left me in that Yeah, song? I think... I think I would go more on that route because I th- there's something more, or at the very least, if that is an available reading, or you know, certainly like in the realm of uh, of in the realm of what we're saying about uh, mishearing, I think anything is possible. So that's a total possible reading of the the but zombie. You don't song, think I, that's really foregrounded? No, I don't think so. And I, whereas I think the Roxy Music song really delights in what you're talking about. Like there's just like the way that it's sung, like it, it is itself. Maybe I'm just thinking about this because we were talking about like dreams and how they they're positioned in um, uh, the, the replacements. But like there, it, there's a dreaminess to to more than this. 
Um, and, and, I, and what I love about it is that the way in which they say more than this, like they, 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 they keep repeating more than this as if they're hinting that there really is something more than this. And, yeah. then, and then they'll even say nothing after they say more than So it, I think they really are playing with that idea that we fantasize about there's something more, and that's this thing that's crippling us, really, and that we fail to see the way in which the nothing is the source of, 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 of all of our enjoyment, really. And I think that that's, I mean, I, th- I find that maybe my favorite, I, I, if I had to say there's one, my favorite theoretical pop mm. song, it would be that one, I think. Like, I think it really captures something really true about the way fantasy and desire are, are structured in a way that other songs don't. I think that this, if I was giving a kind reading on your, your frequent mistitling, I think that's why you put nothing in front of it because right. it's the, the song, like it, the title does some theoretical work because it does, for sure. It makes you think there's, there's something more, more than, this. than this, right? Yeah. And right. the way that they see, but it's, it's nothing. No, there's no, nothing more than this. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. um, which, which is also another, I think this is a, um, uh, if we were going to talk about, um, aesthetics and, and psychoanalysis, I think like the, um, there's, uh, psychoanalysis often gets like, I mean, because of Paul record, like it gets uh, uh, roped into the, you know, this hermeneutics of suspicion and that like psychoanalysis is never, never satisfied by the, the surface. It's always something underneath and like it puts something there and like takes it out. I think would be a criticism. Um, this, a very, very, very recently this week, a book by uh, Rita Felsky uh, came out where she aligns uh, the practitioners of hermeneutics of suspicion, Marxism, uh, psychoanalysis, uh, probably German idealism. I, I would think a dialectical inquiry are are on the same side as climate deniers. Uh, oh in this book God. of hers, yeah, this book of hers is called Hooked, and the only there's a great kind of takedown of this of the book by um sheila liming uh who uh has a um tenure track job very recently near you at champlain college uh, oh so, wow good uh, yeah yeah um and so she wrote this great um essay for la review of books um on uh felsky's um felsky's book and uh it makes a lot of really great points and and i, I think attendant with what with what she writes as well is that like hermeneutics of suspicion is only is only like climate denial if you think that what psychoanalysis does is deny reality, which is a really, really hard take. Um, and it, what it also ignores is like Felsky is also on the side of like, of like Latour and like distant reading and surface reading of a lot of things, which the kind of general take there, if this is new to anybody hearing this is that like, you know, for too long, literary studies has, has, has troubled itself with what's underneath and hasn't looked properly at the surface. And this is like, this is a, I think a willful misreading of what psychoanalysis and what our hermeneutics of suspicion of surface really does, which is to say this, the surface is the depth, not that there's surface and depth and you got to go underneath it to find the, the depth, like the surface is the depth. And that is, I think would be another, a lesson from there's nothing more than this. Right. Right. Like it's also like ABCs of Hegel, right? Like that's yeah. yeah. And psychoanalysis. So, so yeah, I love that idea that, that linking that there's nothing more than this to there isn't, it don't, you don't have to look in the depth. You know, I think Slavoj begins plague of fantasies with this 
notion from X-Files, the truth is out there. <laughs> You're right, right. You know, that the truth is not hidden in the depths. The truth is right there on the surface. And I think yeah. that this, mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that nothing more than this, you could, I love too how you could read it as a, a, a plea for surface reading, or <laughs> you could read it as a plea for a nice psychoanalytic understanding of things, right? Like that they're, yeah. that don't, you know, what's, what's, what's fascinating about it. And you could also read it as, there's really not like, like it could be this, like one of these enjoy the moment kind of things, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm, there's nothing mm-hmm. more than that. But I think that you really should take nothing literally and that mm. there is, there is a nothing that's more. And I think yeah. that's real. And that's what, that's what imbues all of our interactions and situations with value and with something that we can find satisfying and enjoyable. So I think that's really, that's what I love about that song. Like, I think it really gets at that in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, other, like, that, 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 that it, it also includes within it the possible misunderstandings of it. Yeah, no, that's really super. I mean, because the song, like, I think this, this is our, our point why we're talking about fundamental fantasy is that, like, fundamental fantasy is this, like, uh, primary fiction uh, to desire and it is like like desire is performed upon it and like what the Roxy Music song in our reading is doing is it's saying look there's nothing more than that right like like there it, it that that this this is it like uh, I might even say this is the place <laughs> transition to talking about I do yeah <laughs> yeah this must be the place right yeah like, yep. yeah yep. yeah I think that so so with Talking Heads. I think that's the last band we want to talk about uh, yeah. and, and we're kind of built up to them. And <laughs> there's so much to say about them, I think, but I, I think they also have uh, some of the things that we talked about earlier with the, the notion of the enjoyment of nonsense. I think they're really, they're in some ways a band about that enjoyment. Like David Byrne performs that nonsense all the time. I was just thinking one of, the, one of the things I find fascinating is that their, their best songs are, more well known for their live version than for mm. their recorded version. So like Life During Wartime, Once in a Lifetime, Psycho Killer, those are all on Stop Making Sense. And that recording mm-hmm. of them is the one that if you listen, I was just listening to the alternative rock thing coming back from tennis and Psycho. <laughs> uh, I have a, what's that thing called? The Satellite Radio. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and Psycho Killer was on, right? So, yeah. so that's like, and, and it was the yeah. live version of it. So I think that that's a really fascinating thing that the live version, and I think it's, I think it has to do with the way in which there's this, they're, they're, they're brimming with enjoyment in all those songs. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, although I, I do like, I think that like uh, once in a lifetime, I think uh, I hear the, the version from Remain in Light do you really a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think so. But I, but I take the point about the, um, the, 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 the live version and like there is, um, it's almost like you get, I, I think this is something that the, the attraction to the, um, the, the, like we could do, I think an entire other episode on just like the live version of certain songs. Like, I mean, like that is it, like, the only version you hear, like, you know, right. uh, no, no woman, no cry by Bob right. Marley. Right. And part of what I think it is part of the attraction to like at the psychical level, like uh, to the live version is that like there, like in no woman, no cry is a really great example because there's this guitar feedback in the beginning. And that is like this stain on it that absolutely makes it 
it's that's how that's how you know that's perfect because there's that like kind of clear um but like a clear mistake but i think with with um talking heads to your point um the live version it seems to like guarantee like they're a very beguiling band so it's like more when in a live take is like more stripped down there's not you know there's, there's nothing happening there's no like studio kinds of effects or 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 or, or whatever and it's so it seems like you get closer right. with the, the live version but i actually think like uh like a replacement song would probably have it it actually it puts you farther away and i think yeah. that's what what is what is that's uh, what you're really enjoying about yes, the live version yes. yeah i think yes. that's really good you know it's interesting cuz i knew a woman who Rick Boothby's spouse, actually, she was a violinist for the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, and and they would record live albums, and mm. they were not just one recording; they were pieced together yeah. from different live events, and they would sometimes just put the applause in. So I don't. I think <laughs> that in the case of these Talking Head songs, there probably actually were just the one time through live recording. Yeah. But it is true that you can still do all the things that you do with a yes. studio recording to <laughs> a live sure. one. So that's interesting. I do. I, I would say, like, I think that, like, the the one thing about Talking Heads, and I think this is related to the enjoyment thing, that they're, they mm-hmm. thrust you into these extreme situations, right? Like, they put mm-hmm. you in the position of a, like, you're in the position of a psycho killer, like you, yeah. you experience the enjoyment of a, like, and the frustrations that drive someone <laughs> to be a, like, I hate people when they're not polite. Like, like that's his, yeah. which reminds me, I mean, I think David, I don't know which is earlier. Um, David Lynch kind of quotes this in Blue Velvet mm-hmm. when Dennis Hopper uh, playing Frank Booth comes over and punches <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin in the stomach and goes, be polite, fucker. Right. Like, <laughs> I think it's yeah. kind of the same, the same idea. Um, but I think so. So you're in the position of a psycho killer. You're in this life during wartime. You're like camping out, uh, trying to survive in this end of the world situation. You're, you know, the once in a lifetime. It's like you're you're connected with this eternal flow of water under the under the ground. So I think they're 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 all about these extreme uh, nothing but flowers. You're at the end of like all all civilized life has gone away. So I think, you know, I think they're always thrusting you into these extreme situations, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, uh, uh, psycho killers off of 77, which came out in well before. Yeah. yeah, Well well before. before. Yeah. 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 Well before. Yeah. But no, but I like the, I like the, um, the, the the Lynch, uh, can, I want to believe that that, or it's maybe, which is better if that, that Lynch had it in mind or that uh, Dennis Hopper's character had, had a talking head song in mind. That Lynch did, because I think, I actually feel like he and David Byrne are almost the same person. Like they do have a similar kind of, like just not in their art necessarily, but just their way of, of comporting themselves. Mm. You know, like this refusal like to, yeah. like the way Lynch won't explain anything. I think Byrne, <laughs> like he keeps his, pers- I don't know if it's a persona, like he sustains it all the time, you know, like I think. Yeah. So I feel like that's, that's a kind of, so I think it there, there, there is a way in which there's a connection. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, maybe like Lynch, well, no, I said definitely like Lynch. The, and I think this was the point you were just making uh, is that the, the talking heads, like through music, um, want they want to stage the thing for you as listener and audience of what is happening in the song, and uh, like a lot of maybe that happens a lot, but like the to, for a lot of people um, at a, at a narrative level. But I think that w- the twist is that um, 
the talking heads often put you in this position of, uh, of desire and, and I, and I, uh, as a, as a desiring subject. And I think that's a little bit different than a song is just from the perspective of, uh, of someone. So like you are like, like you're, you're wrapped up in this like ongoing narrative, uh, of, of, of identification with the person who the song is about. I think psycho killer, it's like, I, it's annoying. I think the, like, like the, what happened like musically in that song like i want to just like stop doing that please and like you like you like 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 like, you experience the thing that the the narrator in the song is complaining about yeah exactly yeah Yeah, exactly and i I think that they're i think they're really really good at that and i think um yeah i i I think that there are like in some of the this there's also aspects of of talking heads where maybe they're i don't know maybe they're you can like weave them into like all the other things we talked about. Like sugar on my tongue is a very repetitious song. Right. Like, right. I and, mean, there are songs like sugar on my tongue that almost don't have any lyrics. Right. Like, yeah. And I mm-hmm. think like, like the love building on fire. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is not love. This is my face. It's like a building which is on fire. And that's just the whole song. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think there is this like, in, and that's why I think the enjoyment of the, of the signifier Mm-hmm. for its own sake outside of its signification is really so central to them. And it, it's yes. interesting that they would then do a song about a psycho killer. Half of it's in French, <laughs> you know, how, I mean, yeah. not only do they say qu'est-ce que c'est, but there's all this the, in the later verse, there's all this like, uh, je me lance vers la gloire, you know, like there's all this yeah. French stuff. So that's, a, that's interesting that, that the, there you, you're put in this perspective, but you can't even fully understand it unless you speak French and can decipher those lyrics in French, like you can't even fully understand it. So I think there's this like way in which you're, you're in it, but you're not in it. And that's kind of what they're, they're trying to approximate the position of, of that figure. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a, it's the, there's a bombast to it that you have to take up a position to, right. I think like right. for that song in particular. Right. And I think like, I, cause I know a lot, like that's a very, like I've put, I'm sure talking heads are just this band that like I've put them on with people and they're like, I can't, yeah, I, can't listen to I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, I mean, there are a lot of people like who they can't do Bob Dylan's voice or Neil Young's voice and things like that. Like, so like, so that's not necessarily, um, unique, but I think that there is like something for people for whom talking heads are like grading. It's I, like, yeah, it's not, it's at another level. It's, it's not just the, it's not like I don't like the wine of, of, of Bob Dylan's voice. It's like, there is something happening in a talking head song that like it gets in me and I need to reject it for the people for whom that they're, they're on that side. Like, I think that it gets to like another level. I think that's right. And I think it's part of it is because it's juvenile, right? It's like that you mm. said, like, it's about, you said this to me before, it's almost like you're entering into language, like you're learning a foreign language, which is interesting that they do have part of a foreign language in psycho killer that mm-hmm. it's almost like you experience what it's like to enter a language for the first time. And I, I feel like, I wonder if that's why. So my twin boys, it was their absolute favorite group when they were. I mean, from the time they were could even speak, and 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 they only they couldn't speak a lot of words, so they just called Mm -hmm. it like once in a lifetime was the water song, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, life during wartime was the peanut butter song, and whenever that they said (laughs) peanut butter, they'd start to cheer like they. So so they were absolutely devoted 
to talking heads and they would, we would have to, I'd have to play. I played once in a lifetime. I would, we would drive down, it's like 45 minutes to Montpelier, Vermont to see mm-hmm. a friend of ours, Sheila Kunkel. And they, and, and they, they would, I would just have to play that song constantly on the way down. <laughs> and I think it's, I think there is something about that childish enjoyment, like in that uh, enjoyment of the signifier in what mm. they're doing. Yeah, definitely. And this was a point um, that, I, I haven't made in the episode, but talked about pre-show, which was that like when you hear a new song, it is like, I, I think that it's, it's, it's fair to say because it's just hard to pick up. Like I, I like I, I, if someone, if there is someone out there who can hear every line, every word of every song, like the second that they hear it for the first time, like that is like, I think that's a talent and that person should be running all the countries uh, because there must be like an incalculable genius. But I just think it's just too, like when you hear a new song, and you're trying to absorb it at all. Like it, it is like, it is as an adult, one of the few experiences apart from learning a new language, but then you're consciously aware of this. So you don't, it's not the same as learning your first language. Um, but you are like entering into language for the first time. It's like, like you're trying to like, like what are, what are the words? Like what's going on? What are, what are the stakes? Who's like, like who's speaking? What, what's like, what's being said. And it's, it's, uh, it can be very, I think it's like, this is part of the, like one of the primary, like, like what makes music like fun and enjoyable is like, especially when it's like, especially when it's like a band's new album, like, and you love that band because you have this history. So you like feel like you're on like firm terrain, but it's like, it's new, it's fresh. You don't know all the words, you don't know all the music. Like it's like, again, it's just like this, this entering into it as an adult, which you don't, have so it's like this 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 uh secondary experience that has a lot i would say um i think the 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 take it would be tempting to say that there's a lot less trauma than learning language for the first time but i think what we've tried to like do in this episode is is show that like 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 listening listening to music is traumatic like, even as yeah yeah even as a even as a peaceful um ac- uh, activity there there is this um this trauma woven into it with like, you know, through like mishearings and, 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 and everything else that we've, we've talked about these, like this way that you are like encountering, uh, an object and like a, the subject and like the, like the social, like it really stages this, I think in a way that doesn't feel that traumatizing, which is right. what, which is, but which is what makes it work. Like for makes pop, it work. pop right. music. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, okay. So let's, let's conclude with, uh, from mm-hmm. the real to the symbolic, let's, let's conclude. <laughs> sure, sure. Let's conclude with how you try to beef up your symbolic status by announcing <laughs> your favorite song by a certain group. Right. Yeah. So, so, okay. So what do you have to do? First of all, you cannot say, or can you, you cannot mm. say like, Oh, my favorite song by Led Zeppelin is Stairway to Heaven. Or you cannot say... It's not f- cool. Right. There's right. no cachet. No that. cachet. It, and, and, you, and what does it make you seem? And I think this is the key thing, right? Like It, it makes you seem non-serious. Like you're not actually into them. You're not into them. Right. Like you yeah. don't really know what's going on because you're not really part of that. You, you know, if you were really part of the group that was into them, then you would know better than to say... Stairway to Heaven is the best. So that's, or, I think, yeah. Go or ahead. even for us, like someone's like, well, if they really like Led Zeppelin and they wanted to talk about the part object, they wouldn't have written, talked about Cashmere. They'd have talked about Achilles' Last Stand. Right, exactly. You know like we I mean? did. Something we chose like, a pretty yeah. popular one, I think, <laughs> yeah. to, 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 make the, to make our stand on. So I think that's, <laughs> I think yeah. that's really 
that, and that, I think that's, and so what's interesting is, so you, your claim is, if you go, so, so if you're, that, that's true if you're on a kind of, you're, you're trying to prove mm-hmm. that you're, you belong to the group. But if you really go all the way in mm-hmm. and you really are secure in your feeling like, then you're allowed to say, oh, wait, the best talking head song is actually once in a lifetime, right? Like you can. Yeah. I, well, yeah. well, Todd, let's just stage this right now. Todd, what do you think the best movie of all time is? I don't think you can even debate it. I think it's <laughs> Citizen Kane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So Todd's been teaching film for 20 years. And I think that it's not just that like only Todd can say that or only someone who's taught film for 20 years. It's that when like, it's just, it's not a debate. I'll well, I'll tell you what, what's not a debate. What's not a debate is that you love film. And so like, that's beyond question and that like that you care about it and that you know things about film. So I, so what I, what I think is that like, you have to, as you grow in expertise and interest in something, there is a level where you want to signal that to other people and to signal your expertise, you have to say something else. Right. You have to, yeah, you have to like, you know, um, like, uh, this would be to, uh, the, be- like to say, um, like the best song on the white album is cry baby cry instead of saying like, while well, my guitar gently weeps or something like that. Right, like if you right, want, like right. if you were wanting to be really serious about the Beatles, I mean, and the Beatles being the, like what maybe the most famous band ever. Or you could be, uh, I think there is also this, that there is an element of perversion that can kind of creep e- into it. Right. Like if I said yeah. Rocky raccoon. Yeah. Then that would yeah. be obviously a perverse answer, right? And so I think yeah. there are these ways. But I think what's interesting is it's about symbolic it's all all these questions really are about symbolic identity. But then yeah. but but isn't what's what's really t- and I think it comes back to what we're talking about about the surface and the depth, right? Like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that maybe that what the and I, but I do think there's something too like can you and, and it's not just like evaluation is never just evaluation because what we're talking mm-hmm. about with these the pol- politics or the psychic dimension of the song like that's part of what you're evaluating right when you're saying mm-hmm. like when I'm say Citizen Kane's the greatest film of all time I'm not saying I'm saying it because the aesthetics is also the politics right like it has mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. other and I think that's true of 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 songs as well and, but I think the idea that maybe the most popular. So the best can actually be on the top. It can be right on Mm -hmm. the surface. It can be right there for you to see. And Mm. I think that's something that you don't get when you're until you're really into it. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I, and I think there's a lot of, and, and for, I think this happens with, this definitely happens with film. This happens with all of the, like the popular arts, which like I would say is, is film music and television that like, um, and especially on, I think, I think this happens a lot on social media. I know this happens a lot with our, like with our students and that like, it's so one of the thing, I think I've said this on this podcast before, like one of the first things that, that I do when I teach a class is I say like, uh, okay, so we're going to do this for TV or whatever. We're gonna do this for film. And I don't, I don't care if you like anything. And I don't say that cause I think I'm a badass. It's just that like, I don't want anyone to think that, that I'm, that like, I like all these films. It'd be great if you liked all of them, but liking them more or less than someone else, it adds nothing to this class. Like the, right. there, there's, there's no way that th- it's helpful to talk, to talk about how much like you like something and, and like, it's, it's not a, it, it is, it is that evaluation is not on the side of the, the kind of analytic in, engagement. So like, that's fine. That's something else that happens like popularly. And I think that 
Well, I mean, students have told me this. So I know that I know that this is helpful because it's like a thing where the classroom setting stage is a thing that I think happens generally in society is that like it, it can be like you don't know what you're supposed to think about certain art objects. And like 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 the it's very easy to be like insecure and about it and look for you know, what do other people say to work out what you think? And I know that this happens because this happened to me. Like this was me before it wasn't necessarily like grad school was helpful with this, but I mean, before, before I went to grad school and this is just like a, to, to demarcate time in my life. It doesn't necessarily have to do with grad school, but like I would see a movie and I would immediately go to like something like the people who I liked as critics to see what they had to say about it. And then I would figure out what I had to say about it based on what they said. But then what that meant was it was never my take. Right. And it it was always, you know, laundered through other people. And that's like fine. It doesn't make you a bad person if you do that. But like for for me, what I realized was that like I was really letting, I was really letting the other tell, you know, I didn't have that language at the time, but I was really letting the other tell me what I like, what I liked or didn't like about that thing because there's a comfortability about it. And I think this happens a lot with music is that like, um, when I was in high school, I, um, my, uh, my girlfriend's sister at the time who saw me better than my girlfriend did. This was <laughs> the thing. She bought me this book called the rock snobs dictionary. <laughs> and it funny. was like from like my birthday one year. And it was like, I loved it so much. It was so great. I loved this book. It was so super. Um, and like th- that's, but like, cause that was like part of my, like part of like my identity at the time was that like, you know, um, oh yeah, I really like Dylan. So have you heard the New York version of blood on the right. tracks? Cause right. it's actually better than, and which is not true, but it's, um, <laughs> but, but that's, it's interesting is what it is. It's very right. interesting. And now it's widely available, but I had it as a bootleg and I thought it made me very cool right. when I was in high school that I had this and th- they're just so much like th- really, there's like so much, um, I think, uh, jouissance in that, which is actually, it's actually part like it's actually missing the object. That's where right. that's where you get right. It from. I like, think like, that's really good, yeah. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really good, and I think that you. I think the 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 alternative is to follow your enjoyment, right? And then like use yeah. that as the way to guide your interpretation. And I think mm-hmm. that's like like understand, think about wh- what you enjoyed, why you enjoyed it, and then and then build your interpretation out of that. That's what I yeah. think. I think that's really important, and I think that can lead you to discover things that, you know, weren't necessarily what they seem like they might be too low. Mm. brow. I mean, hopefully <laughs> from what we've talked about today, that the, the idea of low, there's no such thing for like low is, is good. Yeah. When I met Hillary, we karaoke. One of the things we sang to her was I have friends in low places. So, <laughs> so, uh, not that that was that's... what swayed her, but, um, but anyway, so, so, so yeah, I think that's really important that the, that the you know to to not to not think about what other people are deciding for you to think is good, right? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I think so. I mean, it's just like like the um, it, what it does is it ta- like what it does. I mean, this is I, I think is like it, it takes it takes your takeaway from from you, right? You right. know, and 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 it means you don't have to. It means you don't have to encounter yourself. We well, you don't have to be interpreting. I think that's the idea. Yeah. I mean, yes. I think that's yes. what our, our our main idea is that even if you have a stupid pop song, always be interpreting, right? Like always yeah. interpret it and interpret why you liked it. That's the that's yeah. the key. 
thing to understanding it, right? Yeah, definitely. Like I have a yeah, just like like on this, like I like I know someone uh, who like 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 he's always doing this. Like you know, I know it's not cool, but like I think the Doobie Brothers are actually pretty good. And I'm like, who cares? Just like 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 you like it, like like that's fine. Just like it, but but it's always like, but but like for this person, it's like. Uh, it has always been that which was uh, derided was not never what, what, what that was always what was cool. And, right. and, and not, and that which was accepted could, you could never listen. Could to never be just, cool. Right. Could never well, be cool. I think, you know, you know, isn't the thing between, it's like this struggle between symbolic, the symbolic benefit of something and then mm-hmm. the enjoy, like the recognition it provides and the enjoyment that it provides. And that those two things are at odds with each other. And I mm-hmm. think that's mm-hmm. the that's the tough lesson of psychoanalysis that you you pay the price for your recognition in mm. in enjoyment. And I think that you know I think maybe that what you've been talking about with like films and music that's that shows it. And I think that's a you know that's a tough lesson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's so so that is why we you know I will begin begin and end with the uh, with. Uh, Nat King Cole's the Christmas song. That's right. Because, that's our that's like, our lesson. Enjoy the Christmas song. <laughs> yeah, enjoy the yeah. Just in just in general, because it's like that's everywhere and it's all the time and it's like it's it's bombastic and it's like very easy to to hate on it. But you know what? It's like it's really like uh, that. Oh God, those strings come in. That's so pretty good. good. It's, the it's vocal, pretty good. It's excellent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Over anyway, and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd. <laughs> Fuck.